Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Something else I could tell you about myself is that I'm a Londoner through and through. I'm a city gal. Um, And so if you were to go on a walk with me um, out in the countryside, um, I can be a real pain. Um, When I was a kid, if we were ever on a family walk, I was always miles and miles behind everyone else, um, dragging my feet, complaining. Um, I'm very, very slow out on a walk, not only because I'm a little bit unfit, but also because I'm quite afraid of falling over. I like to be able to see where my feet are going um, at all times, basically. I guess you could say I'm not very sure-footed. Um, I don't like jumping over streams. Um, I don't like to try and find ways through a bog. I prefer um, concrete, walking on a pavement. It's more secure. Um, and the psalm that we're going to look at this morning talks about being sure-footed and, and having a firm place to stand. Um, and the psalmist, King David, uh, in this psalm, is all over the place. This is kind of nothing new for him. Um, He's in turmoil and just cannot see the wood for the trees. And we're going to explore the emotional and spiritual process that he goes on throughout this psalm, Um, as I believe it's a really good blueprint um, that we can use for our own lives, uh, whatever season we're in, whether we feel like we um, have a firm place to stand right now, we're absolutely thriving, or whether we feel like we're treading water right now and stuff is really hard. Um, David presents us with this pattern for life. Life It's a rhythm that we can all live by. And we can see it kind of in five different stages that are outlined um, throughout Psalm 40. Firstly, David acknowledges that he is in a muddy pit right now. Secondly, he cries out to God. Then David waits for God. Then the Lord delivers David and sets his feet on a rock. And then finally, God gives David a new song. So just before we get into reading Psalm 40, I'm just going to pray for us now. Yeah, Lord God, we are here to um, be with you this morning. And we just pray that you would open our hearts um, and our ears to hear what it is that you want to speak to us this morning. Would you come by your Holy Spirit right now, Lord God. Amen. Fab, so we're going to read Psalm 40, verses 1 to 5. It should come up on the screen behind me as well. So it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you have planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Cool. So, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not a natural outdoors adventurer, um, but my husband Connor and his family, they love a long and arduous walk. And I remember the first time um, I went to meet them over in Northern Ireland, and we went on a four-hour hike. Um, I literally felt as though we had walked across the whole of Ireland Um, by the end of this walk. We crossed uh, forest, streams, we walked the length of a really long beach up a cliff and then all over again to get back down to the car. Um, And because I was trying to make a really good impression on his parents, 
and show them like, yeah, I'm sporty, like I'm really fit, I can survive four hours without a snack. Um, I didn't say anything about my tiredness. Um, I didn't kind of tell them the reality of my state of being. And I'm telling this story because I think we can often do the same thing with our spiritual or emotional states of being. We can be too ashamed to even let our closest people know that we're struggling or know that we, we, that we need help. We want to make a good impression, don't we? And very often, we can do the same thing with God. Perhaps we want to show God that we have it all together, that we can handle things on our own, and we're too proud to admit that place that we're in. Or perhaps we're simply oblivious to our emotions. We've denied them, we've stuffed them for too long, and so now we no longer feel that much at all. But the first thing that I think we can gather from this psalm is that this wasn't a weakness that King David had at all. He was in a bleak position, but he lets God know and he lets us know in this psalm that this is the case. He describes that he's in the pit right now and not just a pit, it's a slimy pit. Um, He doesn't specify exactly what um, this situation is, but a pit is a dark place, right? Um, And you can get trapped in a pit. And so this is where David's at. This guy is facing something big and dark, um, but yet he wasn't too proud or too ashamed to share about it. So the first thing he does is he recognises the place he was in. He knew his situation was difficult and he acknowledged this to himself and before God. Throughout the Bible, the words um, destruction and desolate are often used to describe roaring waves or storms. And David is going through a storm. His circumstances are making him feel overwhelmed and terrified. Um, About five years ago, I was on a wild beach with some friends and I went into the sea for a swim. And when I got in the sea, um, it was completely calm and really like fun and pleasant to be in. Um, And like you might hear about happening in the sea sometimes, all of a sudden, the sea just turned on me. Um, Suddenly, there were huge waves that took me out one after the other after the other, and I got dragged quite far out to sea. I remember feeling like I was in a washing machine, um, kind of doing somersaults under the water until I didn't know which direction was up. It felt as though I'd been in this washing machine for hours. It was probably only about five minutes in total, but I was convinced in those five minutes that this was the end of my life, basically. I didn't see how I was going to make it back to the shore, and I was getting more and more tired trying to fight back the waves. Absolutely terrifying ordeal. Eventually made it back, ended up sat on the shore with tangled and matted hair, blood all up my arms and legs from where the kind of rocks and bracken had scratched me under the water. It was absolutely terrifying. Um, But as you can see, I'm still here and live to tell the tale. Um, But I imagine for many of us, we either will have done... Um, or we will at some point um, reach that place of fear or feeling stuck in a situation. Perhaps it won't be a life or death situation. But metaphorically, we will all go through storms, like I was, under the water, fearful and trapped between the waves. God, where are you? I can't see which way is up. I don't know what to do. Perhaps it's a season of grief, of loss or addiction, or an unexpected job loss and financial difficulty. There are so many times in our lives when we can end up feeling lost and confused and even quite depressed by our own situations. And even if this isn't your reality right now, it probably will be at some point. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote, Try to exclude the possibility of suffering, which the order of nature and the existence of free wills involve, and you find that you've excluded life itself. Now, this is not to be um, discouraging or depressing. It is just true that throughout our lives, we can expect to have hard times and to go through storms. 
And then alongside this picture, there's this, this idea of the mud and the mire. It's a sense of being stuck in a place of helplessness and hopelessness and wondering whether even if you did ask God for help at, some, at, at this point, would he really be able to? You're too stuck. Your feet are deeply entrenched in the mud. Is there anything that he can really do at this point? And so knowing David's context of being in this pit and being stuck, the next thing that we learn is that we must cry out to God like David did when we're in these seasons. He's acknowledged where he's at and now he cries out to God. In verse 1 it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. One of the reasons that God loved David so much was because he cried out to him so much. This guy knew how to get his emotions out to God. In Psalm 6, he writes, I'm weary with my mourning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. I don't know if anyone's ever been there. I definitely have. (laughs) David didn't just put his best prayers together and try to impress God with his stiff upper lip, his kind of Britishness and maybe elegant language in his prayers. David got it all out, the good, the bad and the really ugly. He recognised in front of God, look, this is where I'm at. It's not pretty, but I'm here. I'm in this mess. Please save me. I feel like I can identify a little bit with David's level of emotional volatility. Um, I'm quite a deep feeler, but when I feel as though my emotions are beginning to control me and not the other way around, I know I need to go and be with God. He is not afraid of my anger. He's not afraid of my hopelessness or my fear. We don't need to tie up our emotions really nicely with a bow to make them acceptable to God. He wants our reality And he wants our our raw emotion so that he can take them and help us through. Perhaps you're sat here right now thinking this sounds great, um, but I generally don't really feel that much that often. Um, I don't identify with David's emotional roller coaster, um, and that is okay. But God is an emotional God. Um, He's made us in his image, and so actually we do all have emotions. He's given us emotions and wants you to access them so that you can know when you've reached a pit. I think often in Christian contexts, especially in the UK, it can be easy to push down emotions because we kind of we kind of condemn our emotions because we believe that God's got it right. We don't want to focus too much on them so that we're not led by them, which is true. But actually, I would argue as well that our emotions are a gift from God that help us indicate where we're at. And until we get to know ourselves and what's going on for us internally, it will be hard for us to know the voice of God. Pete Scazzaro wrote a fantastic book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and he wrote in it, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. They're a fantastic tool that we can utilise, that God has given us all, that tell us where we're at. We can't be um, controlled or led by them, But we can see them a little bit like um, a light that comes on on your car dashboard that indicates maybe that there's a problem. Our emotions aren't something um, to be scared of. They simply point to something deeper. American pastor and teacher Benny Phillips said, The Psalms don't teach us to deny our feelings and therefore please God. We are encouraged to engage with God on whatever issues are going on in our lives. God's desire is for us to open the window of our soul and engage in the emotional struggle with him until we understand where our heart is on issues. And we see in verse 1 that when David honestly cried out to God from his place of real pain, it says that God inclined his ear to him or God turned to him. 
It's almost as though God's ears kind of prick up when we get honest with him. So I wonder if you can start to think this morning about what this could look like for you, getting honest with yourself and getting honest with God, crying out to God. I like to write all my really honest prayers to God out in a, in like a, a notebook that I have. Um, I've got this, this notebook with lots of messy pages of writing. Some pages I can literally see where I've pushed the pen really hard down into the paper, like in anger. And then there are other pages that are a bit crinkly from like where I've cried on them. This might sound a bit mental, but it will be a key step that we take in drawing near to God, bringing him our real selves. David writes in Psalm 62, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. It's a beautiful thing when we cry out to God. All David could do in his moment of struggle and pain was cry out to God, and that was a step he took on this spiritual journey that brought him out into the next stage. And that brings us on to the next pattern for life that we can learn from King David. He waited for the Lord. It says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. Or a more um, literal translation of this verse would be, I waited intently for the Lord. How many of us here just love waiting? We just love those seasons of waiting on God, don't we? We hate waiting, don't we? We hate waiting um, in long queues or in traffic or even sometimes just waiting our turn to speak. We all don't like it. Um, Most of us don't enjoy waiting and many of us don't really understand what waiting actually means. Waiting on God is a massive part of the Christian life and especially nowadays where we rarely have to wait for that much. Um, I ordered something from Amazon this week and it arrived the same day. Um, It's absolutely mad, isn't it? Instant gratification is a massive part of our lives. And this theme of of David waiting for the Lord, it has been common, especially in the last few Psalms. Um, In the previous Psalm, David waited upon the Lord without immediate answer. Um, But here... We have the answer in this psalm. It's stated, it says, he inclined to me and he heard my cry. We know that David was a bit of a waiting connoisseur. Um, Between the ages of 12 and 16, David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. But then for the next 10 years, he had to flee the current king um, before he was actually crowned king. He suffered loads of dangerous and terrifying situations in which he just had to trust that God would bring him through. And this is so important for us. It teaches us that even when God's help or his coming through feels really delayed, we can draw no deadlines for God. He does as he pleases when he pleases. So how do we wait well? David knew how to wait well. It says in verse 4 and 5, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord, are the wonders you have done. David recognises that God and only God is his place of safety. And then he kind of begins to recount the things that God has done in his life. In our waiting, we must turn to God. We must be persistent in prayer to see breakthroughs in our situations. And we can worship God and thank him for all he's done while we wait. This psalm teaches us to wait with humility and with hope. I think humble people can wait really well. Pride says, I deserve this, I deserve this now. And humility says, I don't deserve anything, but God knows what I need. When we're full of pride, waiting becomes a lot harder. We want things to happen on our schedule and on our terms. And so we feel indignant and angry with God when that doesn't happen. 
Do you ever look back um, at a photo or a video of yourself from like 10 years ago and think, wow, I looked like a fool? Um, you can probably look back at a time in your life as well and admit that you used to be foolish. I was talking recently with some friends about what I used to be like at uni, and it's just that feeling of cringe. I don't really want to talk about this. Um, but here's a wild thought. Maybe you're foolish right now. Maybe in 10 years, you're going to look back at the way that you were right now and be amazed at how far God has brought you. Humble people allow God to be God in every single season. They don't try to pick up what isn't theirs to carry. And actually, the waiting season continues to grow them and mature them and teach them more humility. Secondly, we wait in hope. Psalm 39 verse 7 says, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Again, in Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. Hurting but still hoping, that is the human journey. This is what Lisa Turkhurst has said about it. Hoping doesn't mean that we completely ignore reality. Hoping means that we acknowledge reality, and in the very same breath, we acknowledge God's sovereignty, his absolute power to work as he sees best. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says... For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. We can trust in our seasons of waiting that God's word is faithful, that his promises are faithful, that even when it feels like stuff maybe is crumbling, that actually God is still God and that we belong to him and that he will deliver us. Our hope cannot be tied to whether or not certain um, circumstances change or another person changes. Our hope must be tied to the unchanging promises of God. When we wait on God with humility and with hope, we are allowing him to do his deepest work in us. We allow him to plant new things within us and grow us into who he's created us to be. So we've seen that David acknowledged where he was at. He cried out to God and he waited on God. And now we're going to see how God delivered David and set his feet on a rock. There is um, a world of difference between quicksand and rock, right? This is why, like I said at the beginning, I prefer walking on the pavement than through a boggy field. Because mm. quicksand makes you sink um, and a rock helps you to stand. And what we see in this psalm is David being taken from this place of sinking and kind of desperation to then being on stable ground, this place of security and safety. Verse 2 says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. When I see that word slimy, I think of that kind of mud that's hard to get off your boots, um, the kind of mud that causes you to slip up and fall over and get caught in it. But David's given us this beautiful picture of God lifting him from that place of being stuck and taking him somewhere new. And this is what God wants to do for us this morning. I don't know what situations we've all come in here with this morning perhaps it's something huge and all-consuming for you right now um, or perhaps it's like seemingly smaller but all the same a dangerous habit or a consistent thing in your life I know that this morning God wants to set us free in the situations in our lives that we feel like you know what I'm never going to be free from this that the shame that seems to have left a mark on us forever or maybe cycles of anxiety and fear that just keep on coming up 
God wants to lift us out and give us a firm place to stand. And these aren't just words. They might feel like it, but it is a total reality for us who believe in the power of God. Standing in the mud could look like building your life on things that are really likely to change. For example, living for the approval of other people. How easy is it for us to seek affirmation from our peers or our boss or our family and make that the end goal, but you can never quite get enough of it? Perhaps it's living for pleasure and distraction, living for the weekend where you can kind of just block out the reality of what you're feeling. But then Monday always comes, doesn't it? And this wall of distraction comes crashing down. Or perhaps it's money, work, or even relationships. All of these things, many of these things, um, are good gifts from God. When we build our lives on them, they have massive power to cause destruction because they're not a firm foundation. They are subject to change. Family members disappoint us. Friends let us down. There's dysfunction in the workplace. Someone breaks up with us. Money runs out. And then in contrast, this stable ground that we see in this psalm that God puts us on, it looks like standing on the truth, living your life from that place of knowing and receiving God's love and approval. It looks like being able to be honest with yourself fully and honest with God about where you're at and then receiving mercy and grace for every day. We no longer feel the need to escape our reality or to kind of numb it out or fill it with other stuff. We can bring our whole reality to God and allow him to help us stand on the truth of his word. But sometimes I think when God lifts us out of the pit, we can be quite good at climbing back into it. I know this is definitely true for me. Sometimes that pit can actually feel enticingly comfortable, Um, whether it's a habit or a way of thinking or even maybe a relationship. Sometimes we just fall back in, don't we? We can become a bit like um, the children of Egypt and we say, oh, God, send me back to slavery. I had it better there. I need more than what you've provided for me right now. So the antidote to this is that we must be active in fighting to stand on the solid ground that God has brought us out into. And this word set, where it says he set my feet on a rock, in the original language, it means to arise or to take a stand. Now, this will be the first and potentially last time I ever use a football analogy um, as football ain't my thing. But I do love this story um, that someone who loves football told me about. Um, This guy, Graham Souness, is a Scottish ex-footballer and then manager as well. Um, And he apparently has always been a bit of a hot-headed guy. And he goes to manage this match for his team who are playing in Turkey and they're playing on the home turf of the rival team. Um, So I think this would technically be an away game for them. Who knows? I don't know. Um, But anyway, they're on enemy territory and the stakes are really high and Souness's team end up winning. So massive victory for them. And when they're celebrating their victory, Souness, this manager, in his excitement, storms onto the pitch and in the centre circle of the pitch, he plants um, the flag of their team. And then this then sets off a riot in the stadium and it's very, very violent. Souness planted a victory flag in the centre of the chaos. And maybe he was doing it just to be controversial and annoying, um, or perhaps he was symbolising the victory that had already been won. There's an activeness um, in standing firm on the rock that God has given us, and we need to take a stand. I wonder what situations that we need to plant God's victory flag on. Where do we need to fight back against what the enemy would love to do by saying, nope, God has already won the victory, 
my God has already planted a flag over this situation. How tempting is it for us to cower and run away in fear when we come face to face with our struggle? But God gives us his authority and he calls us to take a stand. He's given us a firm place to stand and we must choose to stand on it. That place of peace is available to us, but we must be active in allowing God to take us there. Then the final part of, of the process that we see happen between David and God in this psalm is that God gives David a new song. Verse 3 says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. God doesn't just hear David when he cries out to him. He gives him a new place to stand and a new song to sing. This new song that David sings is a song of praise. I think the only feasible response to someone rescuing you is to thank them, right? When I made it out of that ocean alive, I thanked God for saving me. I couldn't believe how blessed I was to simply be breathing air again. That is what David is experiencing here. He's singing a song of praise to God for his deliverance. And sometimes I think God will allow us to go through painful seasons of suffering where maybe it feels like we can't breathe, we need a firm place to stand, so that when we come out of it, we praise God all the more. He gives us a new song to sing. It's no longer a song of lament and distress and sadness, but it's one of joy and thanksgiving. And the significance of our song is that, as the verse says, other people are going to see. They're going to see us singing, or they're going to see us praising God with our lives, and then begin to put their trust in God as well. And this is what will happen when we live from a secure and firm place. People will begin to see that you are unshakable and your life becomes a testament to the power of God. Have you ever seen a new Christian um, stood in worship? Normally, they look the opposite of subdued and bored. They are awestruck and joyful because of this new salvation that they've they found. When we truly recognise the place that God has taken us from, and where he's taken us to, we can't help but worship him. It says in Ephesians 2, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in sin. It is by grace that you've been saved. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we have been given a free pass from death to life. It's incredible. This is something to sing about, isn't it? So we've gone through each of these five stages of David's process with God. We've seen that we must first acknowledge where we're at. We then cry out honestly to God. We wait on God. We stand firm on the rock that is Christ. And finally, we worship God with the new song that he's given us. Yeah, this week as I was writing my preach, uh, what stood out to me was this word set. Um, he set my feet on a rock. And the fact that in that original language, it means to take a stand or to arise. And there is an activeness in this for us. And so I just want us to maybe close our eyes right now and just bring to mind maybe what those situations or pits that we feel like we're in are, where we need to take a stand against what the enemy would love to do in our lives. In what situations do we need to plant our feet on the ground? and stand on the truth, plant that victory flag like that football manager did. And so if you've got a situation you can bring to mind, why don't you do that right now 
and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then if you feel led, just in a moment, I just want you to stand up. There's nothing weird about this. It's just a way that you can show God, I'm actively choosing to stand on solid ground today. It's just a symbol that shows God, this is what I'm doing. Everyone's going to keep their eyes shut. So just in your own time, if you want to, and there's no pressure, but we're going to pray.